time, distance, speed. That's open road racing. And that's the topic for today's show. This is the Midlife Motorheads Podcast. Listen in as we talk about our automotive adventures in the shop, on the road, and at the track. So climb on in, tighten those belts, and let's go for a ride. We are the Midlife Motorheads. And now... Broadcasting from Motorhead Central, somewhere in the Carolinas, is the hosts of the show, Gene and Trotty. It was Sunday, September 25th, 1988, when 50 cars gathered in Ely, Nevada, and forever changed the definition of a Sunday afternoon drive. It was on this day that an eclectic group of American muscle cars and European exotics blasted down Highway 318 between Ely, Nevada, in Las Vegas. The fastest car that day was a brand new red Ferrari Testarossa. It was clocked at an average speed of 162.58 miles per hour. What made this truly a remarkable event, it was all perfectly legal. It was the first Silver State Classic Challenge. For me, I first became aware of this road race a month or two later when an article appeared in Hot Rod Magazine. Since then, I've read several stories about the race and I've seen it a couple of times on cable TV. But 34 years later, Trotty, we're going to check off a bucket list item. We're going to take the Crown Victoria race car, the same car that we ran for 24 hours at VIR, the same car that we took to Daytona and raced for 14 hours, and we're going to the Silver State Classic Challenge in Nevada on September 18th, 2022. But before we get ahead of ourselves, today we've got a special guest. His name is Blue, and he's the chairman of the Silver State Classic Challenge Board of Directors. Hey, Blue. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, man, we just appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to tell us about the Silver State Classic Challenge. To get us started, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Friday, for the invite. Uh, again, my name is Blue Offit. I, uh, I've been doing open road racing for uh, about 20 years. Started originally with the Silver State Classic Challenge. Uh, I still have a day job, though. I'm a uh, uh, IT director for a major credit card company that uh, basically funds my racing habit, <laughs> for my open road racing habit. Live out here in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where the weather's nice 90% of the time. And uh, pretty much all I do is open road racing. I have a little time on track and had done some autocrossing, but my, my passion has been open road racing. Okay, very cool. Well, well what is exactly open road racing? Because our listeners may not know what that is. Can you tell us what open road racing is and what is the Silver State Classic Challenge? Sure. It's a, well, the, the it's, it's actually a, a incorrect name. It's a time speed distance event. It's not really a race. It's a time speed distance event. And I'll get into that in a minute. But the Silver State Classic Challenge uh, is the first one that was set up in America uh, many years, or back in 1988, a group of gentlemen some of who had seen these type of races in Europe and thought, man, it would be nice to do it here. And they found a stretch of road out in Nevada and managed to talk the uh, powers to be at that time into doing it 
on the charter of bringing tourism into White Pine County, Nevada. And the objective of the sport is to uh, basically average a perfect speed over a distance while staying in a speed window. Uh, a good example would be, let's say, if you have 90 miles and you're trying to average a perfect 90 miles an hour, you need to finish in exactly one hour. The What makes it hard, though, for this sport is when we run these classes, we have what we call tech windows. For example, uh, I personally run in the 150-mile-an-hour class, which means I cannot go slower than 130, and I can't go faster than 165 while I'm trying to average this perfect 150. And we had radars all along the course to make sure I stay in that window. So you can't get to the finish line and slam the brakes and watch your stopwatch and then cross the finish line. That's it. That's pretty much what it is. Okay. Um, is there an, an age restriction for participants? Uh, you have to be you have to be at least eighteen years old mm-hmm. to be in the vehicle, either a navigator or a driver. But you have to be at least eighteen. Now, and I say it's a time speed distance event, but I do have to point out we do have a category called unlimited, which is just how fast can you cover that ninety miles? And the Guinness world record for uh, fastest average speed on a public highway was set at the Silver State Classic Challenge. And this this gentleman and his navigator, they averaged 219.643 miles per hour on a public highway. That's crazy. That's rolling, isn't it? (laughs) My God. That is moving. So keep in mind, that's average. I think the record in the trap, we uh, we trapped him at 240, 243 or something like that. But he says he uh, there were points where he was over uh, 250. That's unbelievable. That was an old cup car, wasn't it? That was an old cup car that he bought. <laughs> and ironically, I forgot how much he paid for it. I know this gentleman. He lived down in Tucson. But he spent almost half that much. Uh, to get it to turn left and right. <laughs> oh, okay. Because yeah. okay. it wasn't a road race car. It was one of their uh, turn left cars. It was super, so probably had super speed. Heavy modifications to get that car to turn left and right. That That's amazing because I, I live um, kind of in the heart of NASCAR, uh, where all the teams are in North Carolina here. And most of those guys, if you went to them and said, I'm going to take this turn left car and make it a go straight turn right car, they would tell you, forget it, start all over. So that that to me is even more impressive that he was running those speeds on an open road course and um, you know started with an oval car and not a uh, not a uh, exactly. road course road car. That's yeah. that's insane. And he worked his way up through all the classes. Um, well, not all the classes, but the uh, he started down in the uh, I think he started in one ten and went to one twenty and so forth and. Worked his way up, uh, just like the uh, the previous record holder who, who sadly passed away last year, Jim Peruto. Uh, he started. He was uh, one of my rookies. His first race, he ran at 95 miles an hour in a Mercedes G wagon. <laughs> oh goodness, wow. that's interesting. <laughs> so, Blue, you, you you said this is time and distance, and you're trying to hit that perfect time. How how close do people come? Tell us about like the the finish 
the finishes are are they within like two minutes of the perfect time? How, how does that go? <laughs> no, generally uh, we we have a first, second, and third place. So it's the podium that's like most races or events, and generally first, second, and third is separated by less than a quarter of a second from perfect. Wow, wow, and, that, that's uh, that's uh, pretty uh, impressive, and. Um, so what, what kind of, you know, how did they do that? I mean, do they, do competitors bring computer stopwatches? I mean, how do they, how do they get so close? That's, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's a mix all across the board. We have people who have purpose built computers just for running rallies. They bought off the shelf rally computers. We have people who uh, run with apps on their phone. Uh, I have seen, I kid you not, Egg timers, now they're not that close. And then you have the old school folks like my wife and I. My wife is my navigator. Uh, we run old school. We have notes and stopwatches. And we've been as close as 0.01 seconds off of perfect with notes and a stopwatch. Wow. That's impressive. So, Blue, what, what kind of car do you uh, do you have? We have two cars that we run. Uh, the one that we started with and ran for many years was a 1993 Mazda RX-7, the R1 variant. Uh, I love that car. Still have it. And I, I captained a team called Team Invaders, which is just all import cars. But after a few years, I had decided I wanted something with a V8 to get away from the rotary and the, uh, the RX-7. So to uh, be able to still captain the import team, I wound up picking up a 2005 Mercedes C55 AMG. That's what I currently run. Very nice. What would you tell someone that is kind of kicking around the idea of, of doing this? You know, what's what what's the best advice for someone doing their first Silver State Classic Challenge? I would say, uh, first of all, do it. Don't, uh, uh, whatever fears you might have, uh, let them go and think of it as you're going to go drive down a highway like many people do at 100 miles an hour, but you know what? You're going to do it legally and you're going to do it safely. And, uh, you know, wrap your head around, I, my car's got to be in good shape, get you some good tires. That's the number one. There's two things I would tell people. Make sure you've got good tires and that your tires are the proper load rating and speed rating for what you're going to do. And that you have the proper helmet. The biggest mistake I've seen over the years is someone shows up to the event and they've got these stagecoach wheels with tires that are so low profile, they're not even close to having the load rating for the car and they can't race. Or they show up with a motorcycle helmet instead of a special application helmet. Uh, that's, that's another one. We don't allow folks to run with motorcycle helmets because... Well, they're designed for motorcycle incidents, not car incidents. Interesting. That doesn't so make sense. what about tips on, on preparing the car? You know, we, we first thought we would fly out and like rent a car and do it, but then we thought, no, we'll, we'll go ahead and take our race car. What, what, would, you, what would you give us for advice on, on prepping our car for this first run? The first thing is uh, figure out where you're going to mount your fire extinguisher. It needs to be mounted on a, uh, well, uh, I want to reemphasize, make sure your tires are good. 
make sure your car is not leaking anything. If you're going through second section and they see a puddle of oil or anything under your car, they're probably not going to let you race. Uh, but make sure your, you know, your engine sound is not leaking. You have good tires. Get your fire extinguisher mounted where you can reach it while you're sitting in the seat. Make sure it's on a metal bracket. And then, uh, look, think about, you know, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to do your timing? Are you going to try to use a computer? Or are you going to use stopwatches and notes? And once you decide how you're going to do that, figure out, well, how am I going to have that in the car? Because we don't allow a lot of loose stuff in the car. In the event of an incident, those loose items become projectiles. So we're real real uh, strict about what you have in the car as far as what you're going to be using for navigation. And then I would say uh, when it comes to in the car, you know, make sure that you you uh, you you take everything you you think you might might need. For example, if you if you're going to drive all the way out or whatever, and you know, have a couple extra belts, take some or or things that might fail before the event. And I've seen people, including myself, have something fail a couple of days before the event, and Ely is a long way from nowhere. And fortunately, I was able to get the car fixed and still race. But just make sure your car's in good working order and not leaking. By failure items, you mean like like hoses and belts and things like that? Right. Yeah. yeah. And most newer cars, that's not an issue. But some people, like, like myself, who run classics, like a 1993, <laughs> you, you think about those things. Yeah. And I have... Uh, I have I have not finished races or I finished the race and I was DQ'd because I was going too slow because a 39 cent vacuum hose blew off of my boost controller <laughs> and I didn't yeah. have turbo. So I was just running yeah, normally activated. That's, that's good advice. So, so blue, um, I just want to make the comment here that if you, if you find us, you know, in line to get our car teched and there happens to be a puddle underneath the car, that's just cause we're nervous. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I I know some of that happens. I, I I think most first timers have a hard time sleeping the night before. So uh, yeah, there's well, some there's some nerves to be had. There's no question, and, about and that's that. good because you don't want to go into this event. Uh, and granted, it is going down a public highway at speed and so forth, but it is still dangerous. And you do want to uh, you want to take it somewhat seriously. You want to have fun, but you want to. You want to take it somewhat seriously and to go into it and not be nervous at all or just uh, uh, haphazard uh, could end poorly for you or someone else. Right. Well, that's a good segue from how to prepare the car to how do I prepare myself, you know, mentally to do, I, to do this. Here's here's something. And this is uh, well, it, it's a matter of personal preference. First, you need to make a decision. Am I going to this? Strictly to drive fast and not get disqualified, but drive fast and have a good time. Am I going to this to try to win or at least get on a podium or both? And if you're going to just drive and have a good time, wrap your head around that. Like, I'm not going to DQ. I'm going to drive within the limits, but I'm going to have a good time. And if I make the podium, fine. If not, fine. And so be it. But if you're going and you're wanting to win, or make the podium, this is going to sound odd, practice. 
I kid you not, this is going to sound strange, but I, uh, when, when my wife and I first started doing this 20 years ago, I, I literally drove up to Nevada. We drove the whole course. We measured it and marked out the mile markers. But then we came back home and I got out on a public highway here and did the same thing. And I practiced at 70 miles an hour. Just going from like a 25-mile course at 70 miles an hour to see if I could get to that end at a perfect time. And oddly enough, practicing at 70 or any slow speed is more difficult than doing it at high speed. Really? So practicing at 70 is a real good way to be ready for doing it at say 110. Any other tips for preparing? I would say uh, make sure all your, your gear is right. You know, I mentioned your, your helmet. Make sure you have a FA uh, 2015 or later helmet or, uh, or yeah, the 20, I think the 2020s are out now. Uh, make sure your clothing is right. We've had people show up in the in their tennis shoes, thinking they're going to run in their tennis shoes. No, you've got to have leather shoes. In other words, read the rule book and, and at least read the clothing and the equipment section to make sure you've got, you know, the right long sleeve shirt, and jeans and whatnot to make sure you're ready for that. And uh, other than that, when you get there, well, preparing-wise, uh, like they practice, make sure all your gear is right and so forth. But then when you get there, the other way to uh, prepare yourself is talk to veterans that have done it. Most of them are more than willing to share tips with you, ideas, anything. And when you get to meet this crowd and you talk to others that have done it, you'll still be nervous, but you'll feel a little better about, okay, I'm amongst others that have done this and want to see me do well and so forth. And you'll have more fun. All right, cool. Um, I do have another question related to, um, to this being that Gene and I are here on the East Coast, what can we expect temperature-wise and to prepare, you know, our bodies? And, you know, obviously we need to hydrate before, but I guess what I'm asking is how hot is it out there? Ely, uh, in September, Ely's pretty pleasant, but by the time you get to the finish line, it could easily be uh, in the 90s because it's a, it's a pretty big elevation drop. I think. Ely is real close to 8,000 feet. And the start line, I believe, is 6,000. And by the time you get to the finish, you're, you're much lower. It's a long downhill course. I thought I had a map somewhere handy that actually showed that. But yeah, it's a great big elevation thing. But I would suggest that you uh, bring uh, winter clothes or some, some nice heavy jackets because it could get real cold or real chilly at night. I have on occasion Sunday morning before the race, race crossed off my window. Uh, the, the race suit felt really good and hydrate because even when it's cold, it's still dry and you don't want to get out there and get down to the finish line or something and be dehydrated and have a heat stroke or something. Right. Blue, when we built our race car, we, we had in mind that every once in a while we would want to have, you know, a, a coach in the car to, uh, to help hone our skills. So it, it was built with a cage that will accommodate uh, a, both a driver and a passenger. 
And we, we kind of kicked around, you know, no having a navigator or not having a, nav- a navigator. Can you make uh, some comments about that? That is a uh, another on this course. That is a uh, another personal preference. The I would not say that you need a navigator, but to me personally, it's much more fun and slightly easier with a navigator. I've done it both ways, with and without. But some people, as I said, this is a dangerous sport. Uh, some people choose that, you know, you know what? If something goes wrong and I'm involved in an incident, I don't want anybody at risk other than me. And so they, they run solo. And uh, I, I respect that. But some of us, like, I like somebody telling me, you know, when you get to the next mile marker, this is the time you want, instead of me having to look at a piece of paper and figure it out. It's more fun with a navigator. Right. Absolutely. We're, we're leaning towards a navigator. And um, the deal I've got with Trotty is we're going to do rock, paper, scissors until I win. And then we're going to, then I'll be the driver. He'll be the navigator. That's the way we've got it figured out. Well, what you could do is you run in, you run in September, figure out that, oh my gosh, I love this. I'm going to move up a class. And then you come back in May and one of you drive down and, and you switch cars and or you switch drivers and drive back. Because in May, we do it two ways. There's 61 down and 61 back. Oh, okay. Wow. That might be something to consider there, Gene. So, All right. Well, what about, is there some items that are most overlooked by competitors, new or old? Well, new, as I said in the beginning, new, new drivers mostly overlook getting the, the proper helmet mm-hmm. uh, or having the wrong tires. The other thing that I've seen a lot of people, especially new folks, overlook is they don't buy a stopwatch. They just show up and somehow think they're going to be able to do this just with a, the average on their GPS or something, and you really need a stopwatch. The older <laughs> races, uh, most of us, including me, uh, sometimes forget to check, well, how old are my belts, my harnesses? Because as you move up, you can't just use your stock seat belts anymore. You have to use racing harnesses. And there's uh, you know age restrictions on them, and all of them have age tags on them. And you, you forget, you can get there and be disappointed and be bumped down to a class where you didn't want to run in because, well, you've got old belts. So I would say that would be the, uh, the most overlooked thing is checking belt dates for old, older races and getting the uh, right helmet and tire type for, for new race. And I also think the, some of the newer racers may not account for what you were saying earlier about being nervous and, and uh, not, not sleeping well the night before. And you may want to take that into account if you're uh, uh, a big party type person. It is Nevada. And uh, you're up partying until, uh, you know, midnight, the night before the race. Chances are you're going to have a hard time uh, getting a good night's rest <laughs> before you take off at 630 in the morning heading to the, uh, to the start line. Yeah. So, Blue, um, we're bringing the big, bright, blue ex-police car that we ran at Daytona. And um, uh-huh. we know that. The answer to this question is probably going to change come September, but tell us about your favorite competitors, your, your favorite cars that are run in Silver State Classic. Oh, my God. The, uh, 
Well, my favorite competitor, uh, as, as far as people go, and this this is just an awesome group of people. I, I love I love all of them, but one of my favorites is uh, a gentleman named Charlie Friend. He he used to run a a heavily modified Corvair with us, and uh, he I, he now runs his Cadillac TTSV. But he is the coolest guy. I think he's run more open road races than anybody. Period. Uh, not not only ours, but others that are run in America. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a ex fighter pilot, and I think he's flown practically every fighter jet known to man. I, I was at his home one day, and he had an entire wall covered with all these planes that he had flown, and most of them were in the air, and he was in them when they took the picture. He's just a, a real classy gentleman. When it comes to cars, uh, over 20 years, I've seen an, an abundance of cars. And I have to say, one of my favorites probably was uh, one of the McLarens that came out. But one of the most recent ones that I, I, I really admire, not just because of the car, but because of the circumstances around it, was a gentleman named Jim Eakin. He brought out a 1967 Ferrari 330 GTC, which is a super rare, very expensive, like $450,000, $500,000 car. Well, not only did he bring it, he drove it to the event from California, raced it, and drove it back home. And I, I was just, I was awed. I loved the fact that, first of all, it was a beautiful, exotic, rare car. And then the fact that he drove it to the event, raced it, and drove it home. And I, I trailer my Mercedes to the event. <laughs> well, what class did he run in? He ran in the 95 mile an hour class. Wow. So, That's yeah. very cool. So that, that was, uh, that was pretty exciting for me. I, I've never owned a Ferrari. It was, uh, at one time one of my dream cars and I let go of that. And maybe someday I'll still have one, but to see that one there and, uh, being driven was pretty pretty darn cool. So, Blue, as chairman of the board of directors for the Silver State Classic Challenge, what's the future outlook for the race? I, I think the future is going to, and some people will cringe when I say this, others will cheer. I think the future is going to see more electric vehicles. I uh, we've, we've had a few show up, and they've done well. They've uh, kicked butt in our shootouts. In fact, I'm sure that'll be the first thing that we have to do is create a shootout class just for EVs. But uh, I think the the future will become more and more auto, uh, computerized. Like right now, the people who have purpose-built computers and so forth in their cars, I think we'll find that some of the electric cars will come with electronics in them so advanced that it comes down to who just can control their car the best because they're, they're, because the computers in the car are so advanced, it'll keep them right on time. So I think that's what the future is, is more uh, electric vehicles being installed or being uh, entered and uh, tighter competition. Well, this has been a fantastic uh, discussion that we've had here. And you've convinced me that our plan to use a sundial is probably not a good thing. We're going to have to figure, figure out our game on, on timing, but uh, we really appreciate you being here. Trotty? I've got five fast 
quick answer questions for you. Oh, okay. So, Blue, what was your first car? Oh, my first car was a 1964 Chevy Impala two-door that my mother gave to me. I love that car. Nice. What would, how about your worst car? Oh, God. That's, <laughs> <laughs> well, the worst one? Oh, God. It was a, a 1984 Oldsmobile Omega. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I think Olds Omega covers you know, it. <laughs> yeah, it, it not only leaked oil, it gushed oil. It, it ran like a turd. It just was, oh, God. I, uh, that was my worst car. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Other than the uh, Silver State Classic Challenge, what is your favorite track? Uh, I have been on track a few times, and I have to say that I probably had my biggest fun, so to speak, was at the Indy Motorsports Ranch down in uh, Southern Arizona by Wilcox. I had a real good time there. I really liked that track. Very cool. How about a bucket list track or car experience? That was easy. I really someday want to drive on the Autobahn and in the same trip get to the Nürburgring. Not to set some speed record. I just want to be able to say I've driven on the Autobahn and I've done the Nürburgring. We need to add that to our list too, Gene. I know. How about Damn. how about your best day at the track or the course? Ooh. I would say my best day at the uh, well at a an open road event would be the first time my wife and I won an event and had best overall we had the most accurate time in the entire event and uh, that was that was that was pretty exciting to uh and that that was our first win way back when when we started racing we had it was our fifth race, and uh, we uh, we actually won and had best overall. So that was that was my best. That is awesome. Well, Blue man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on our show to do this interview. Uh, we've learned a lot. You've been lighting us. Uh, we're really looking forward to coming out there. It's a long trip for us. I mean, we're coming from uh, Jeans in North Carolina. I'm in South Carolina. That's going to be a long pull for us, but. Um, Yep, look forward to seeing you. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Charlie will be so sick of driving by the time he gets there, he won't care if I race or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the driving I get is pulling the car out there, right? <laughs> I heard that. Blue, <laughs> Blue, thank you so much, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for the invitation. Sure, no look problem. Look forward to seeing you in September. Wow, what a great interview with Blue Offit. We were so excited about the conversation forgot to ask him his contact information the best way to get in touch with blue is go to sscc.us that's the silver state classic challenge website if you go under the contact us tab under event operations he has his email and phone numbers if anyone is interested in getting more information about this event Thank you for downloading and subscribing to the Midlife Motorhead Podcast. Make sure to check out our main website at midlifemotorheads.com and all our social outlets, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.